I think inherently we know what we want to be and what we want to do. And you're trying to get context clues to lead you towards that pathway. And sometimes you can be in environments that actually don't support it. Welcome to Working Your Way, the podcast dedicated to unraveling the journey of being authentic in the workplace. I'm your host, Samia Sadakar, and my guest today is Priya Shah. She's the founder and executive director of The Simple Good, a nonprofit whose mission is to connect all people to their sense of good and more specifically to empower youth through art-based programming. But Priya isn't just a leader in the nonprofit space. She's a model, speaker, an artist, and a creator. In this episode, we talk about how she built The Simple Good, taking the leap from her corporate accounting job to founding an art-based nonprofit and what leadership looks like for her today. We dive into how she's made it her mission to break down boundaries in whatever spaces she's in and to build representation for those coming after her. I'm really excited to share this episode with you. Welcome, Priya, to Working Your Way. I'm really excited to have you on. Thanks for having me, Sandhya. I'm excited as well. Yeah. So a lot of times my guests are people and leaders in the corporate world, and I'm really excited to have someone on that has a really strong social mission. And I want to get into everything that you're doing in the nonprofit space and um, with the rest of the facets of your career. But before we go into that, I'm really curious, like, what has your career journey been like? Where did you start out and what was it like for you? So I actually started in corporate. Well, before then, I actually grew up as an artist, ended up studying accounting and finance after doing a little stint around the world doing volunteer work and just witnessing the gap between business and the social sector, which led me to get into corporate. So I was uh, an auditor in the big four accounting firm, and then I moved on to leading operations at Groupon when it was a hot startup. But all along that whole time, I was building uh, my nonprofit on the side. And so always kind of doing both as I was leading towards my true, you know, trajectory and pathway. Were there times in your like early adulthood or early career where you felt like you had to show up a certain way or you weren't like bringing kind of your full self into that? Yeah, I think, you know, especially early in your career, you're trying to figure out who you are and how you fit into a new space and how that space really resonates and is true to you as you're learning a new environment completely. So I think found myself completely trying to figure out if um, a certain way to operate in a company was actually resonating with me. And it could be challenging, right? Because I think inherently we know what we want to be and what we want to do. And you're trying to get context clues to lead you towards that pathway. And sometimes you can be in environments that actually don't support it. And so I would feel like a tug and pull throughout my working career on, you know, what is it that I really want to do and how do I get closer to it? Yeah. So you mentioned you grew up as an artist and then went into corporate finance. What was the purpose in that for you? Like, what did you want that chapter of your career to to bring to you? Well, I mean, I studied business intentionally because I really wanted to understand how to bring together the business and the social sector closer together. Um, All the different places that I volunteered around the world, you know, there's amazing people doing incredible work that was really amplifying healing and uplifting humanity. But 
sometimes they weren't sustainable. Um, and it was simply because some of the business skill sets weren't something that was present or taught. And that's when I realized that, you know, these are two groups of people, business and the social sector, that really need each other to collaborate and work together. But they spoke two different languages. And in order to create sustainability, you need both. And so I chose to get into, you know, the business side just to understand that in, in hopes that eventually I could bring that to communities that I served and communities in need. And, you know, in the back of my mind, even as I was doing accounting and finance, I knew that a lot of what I was learning, whether I liked it or not, um, was applicable to how I could create a social impact solution through the business sector. Did you know all along that that would result in starting a nonprofit? You know, honestly, I probably had it envisioned in the back of my head and I wasn't um, admitting it to myself because, you know, that's a big thought and that's a big feat. And if you're 20 something, you don't really know what that means or entails. But I did have a big idea. And I when it ended up actually happening, I knew it was the right thing. And that was actually what I was trying to do. Um, even though I wasn't really admitting it to myself when I was younger. Yeah. So what were your days and probably more likely nights and weekends like when you were working in corporate and building the simple good on the side? Oh, I was working all the time. But, you know, when you're working towards something that you're really passionate about, it's not really, it doesn't feel like work in the beginning. You know, it's it's um, an energy that's really driving you, filling your cup and makes you see and experience the world in a different way. I felt like I was utilizing the skills that I was learning at work towards something greater than me. And even though I was constantly busy and people might have thought I was crazy to use all my extra time in this way, I really thought that, you know, I was moving towards the direction that I needed to naturally be in. So, yeah, it was a very busy time, um, but it didn't really feel busy because it was making me happy. Uh, I can imagine the like different worlds that you might have been living in with like being in a big four firm and like people are probably just like partying on the weekends or like going on trips and doing all this stuff, right? You're making a decent amount of money and, and like it's a very demanding job. And then here you are pitting together something that, you know, is leading to greater purpose. Like what did that feel like for you? I just quickly saw how the lens of what I was experiencing and seeing in the world and what was on my mind was very different than those that were surrounding me, you know, uh, just thinking bigger picture, thinking that, you know, what does the ultimate impact mean? You know, asking, I was asking different questions than my peers were. And also seeing that made me feel even more distant from the work that I was doing because I started seeing a separation of, of now who I actually am evolving into, which was a person that was very um, invested and in always thinking about, you know, the larger society and our communities. And I wanted to be around people like that too, um, in order to fuel my questions and my curiosity and continue to grow and develop in that lane. Um, so naturally it made me kind of shift as even a person and who I wanted to be surrounded by. Getting kind of farther away from the work that you're doing and the people that you're working with, how long did you do that where you were kind of dual pathing everything? Oh, man, very long time. It was about six years. I was or five years, maybe uh, that I was kind of doing it simultaneously. Then I took a leap of faith and was doing it on my own um, completely. So it was quite a shift from going in a space where you always have a big team and you always have someone around you to just 
leaving something on your own. What were the circumstances or factors that finally enabled you to take that leap and work on your organization full-time? It was a very serendipitous story. Um, It was at a moment in time when uh, we were serving, or I was serving about 200 students in Chicago through our programs. And it was a bit of an overwhelming time. I really thought about, you know, like, how do I take time off to really manage this and organize this? And ultimately what I realized is I have to figure out a plan to get out of here, you know, and and (laughs) make this work. Um, because I know this is what I'm truly passionate about. And it was that same day that my department got eliminated. And so I found out that, you know, my position had gotten eliminated and I either had a choice to find another role or, um, or leave. And I just took that as a sign to take that leap of faith and move towards the you know, the direction that I actually wanted to go in. I I hope you got a really good severance package out of that. But sometimes we need that little push, right? Where it's like, it's more comfortable just to stay here and do the thing side by side. Not that it was easy by any means, right? But it's like getting over that one big change um, can be a really, really tough thing for a lot of people to do. Yeah. I mean, I think once I did take that leap, I realized like I should have done this so much earlier, you know, but some, I think it is because, you know, once you move towards your path of what you truly should be doing, that is true to you, everything falls into line and the universe does really conspire to make sure you're moving in that direction. And I really felt that that moment that I really dove in, but I think that, you know, everything happens for a reason. And that was my big push from the universe to say, just finally go and do it. And so I took that. (laughs) Yeah. It's incredible how often in these stories you hear of people who knew what they wanted to do for a while, but it took an event outside of their control in order to actually make that change. Taking that leap of faith is really hard when you're standing on solid ground. It kind of goes against everything we've been programmed to do to keep ourselves safe. And I hear these stories often that we kind of take the leap when life gives us a little bit of a push. It's like it was telling us for us that it's our time and we probably wouldn't have chosen that time. And sometimes that push is more obvious than other times. I can remember when I made my first big career pivot, I thought, well, if it doesn't work out, I can always go back to my old company or my old industry. They would welcome me back. And That was kind of my safety net, but I always thought I really don't want to have to use it. So I'm going to make this work come hell or high water. Priya goes on to describe just how much energy she had when she did take that leap and when she shed all of the other stuff that she felt like she had to do. Let's rejoin the conversation. In the podcast, we talk about this a lot in terms of like working in an environment that really isn't like a great fit for you. And then when you leave that or you make a change, the impact or the effects that that change has on you and like whether it's physically, mentally, emotionally, uh, feeling very different than being in an environment that feels like isn't really you. Did you experience any of that? Yeah. I mean, as soon as I left and I was just jumping into the simple good I just felt this crazy energy of moving. Like I was doing, it's crazy, you know, what your body and brain can do when you're really moving towards something that's true to you. And I felt this immense amount of energy that I could take on so much. And I did do a lot. And sometimes I reflect on that period of time. I'm like, whoa, how did I even do that? You know, (laughs) Uh, I was 
organizing people. I was doing programming. I was supporting curriculum. I was teaching the programs. I was putting together events by myself to raise funds. And it was just really incredible and crazy that I was able to do that on my own. But I think that's the thing is that when we create environments that move us towards our goals and our pathway, we can do really incredible things and move mountains even quicker than we think. And creating environments that support that for us is just so powerful. And so I'm glad that I got to experience that in my life and just really see, you know, what any of us can actually do when we're actually true to ourselves. I really love that. The idea of like, we can generate more energy for ourselves when we have like the inputs. And so if if you're emotionally and, you know, mentally fulfilled by the work that you're doing, it's like this engine that creates more energy sometimes. And uh, I certainly look back at moments of my career where I'm like, how did I fly around that much and go to these different places and whatever? <laughs> you know, it's like we just are fueled by different different things. It's not just about the physical energy, but it's like, wow, I can really get in the zone, um, in the flow and like create and produce and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, definitely. That's why it's always a reminder of like checking in with yourself and are you really moving in the direction that you want to be moving? And not for us not to be hard on ourselves when we're not, right? And instead of being hard on ourselves, take what are those small actions that can shift us in the direction that we need to move? I think sometimes when we're hard on ourselves that we're not, we feel like we can't move. It's actually that we're just not taking those small decisions to make us move, right? And that's actually what's going to move us and bring in more energy that will fulfill us. It's like you have to start doing it in order to get that. And then you could do it more and more and more. Even in the smallest ways, right? Sometimes folks are, it doesn't have to be a dramatic action of you quitting your job. It could be just stepping out and meeting a new person and learning something new that fulfills a level of curiosity that will give you even more questions to move towards. Um, And I think those are the things that we should consider when we feel stuck. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I want to talk about one way we could make some of these small changes and it's something called job crafting. This work started with the research of Professor Amy Rosnowski, where she found that employees could experience significantly more job satisfaction or fulfillment when they redesigned their work. The thing is, it didn't take monumental changes to get there. Much of job crafting is about making small, tangible changes to our work to make it work better for us. It could be changing the tasks that we're doing, but it also could be about changing how we're collaborating with other people to get those tasks done or changing how we perceive or see the work that we're already doing. This reinforces what Priya said. We can make small actions today to find more fulfillment or to get unstuck in the roles that we're currently in. The biggest thing that I see is that people assume they can't ask for anything or suggest that they do things differently than the direction that they've been given. And it's just simply not the case. I'm going to share some more information about this in the wrap up if you want to explore it further. For now, let's hear more about Priya and her mission with The Simple Good. So talk a little bit about The Simple Good and... What is it? What was the mission that you had in mind when you started? So our mission's still the same, beautifully. Um, but you know, our mission is to connect the meaning of good 
around the world to empower youth to become positive activists through art and discussion. And we do that by means of social emotional learning based arts programs in different schools and nonprofits across the city to support the mental health of youth. And what we're ultimately trying to transcend is, you know, no matter where you go in the world, good really means the same to all of us. And that is what connects us as human beings. And that through line really allows us to understand our own self-awareness and our self-development in order to fuel positive outcomes in our lives. This program is meant for kids, but honestly, it's meant for everybody. Everybody benefits from understanding the simple good that lives within us to bring that out into the world to really change our outcome. And, you know, that's what allows us to move towards our possibility. And it's very much of a testament of also my life. And this is why I know that it is so important because it's the moment that I found out, you know, and understood the simple good that was within me, which was being an artist and bringing art and creation into this world that makes other people happy was how I was actually moving towards my truth and understanding who I truly am. I realize that a lot of us don't actually know who we are, right? We're not taught who we are. We're taught who we're not, especially as youth. And that definitely happened to me as a youth, dealing with a lot of obstacles I had to deal with and telling everybody telling me what I wasn't versus what I really was. And that's what we teach, right? What is that simple good that lives within us to move that towards a positive outcome and positive possibility? So um, we've been, I founded it 12 years ago. We've been doing programming for a very long time now. And since we started with a small classroom of one, and since then we've served over 7,000 youth all around the world, actually. We were doing this program internationally and nationally before the pandemic. Uh, yeah, it's been a beautiful journey of just one small idea and the world really embracing it. I'd love to hear, I've heard a little bit of the story, but like, what was that very first classroom that you walked into? Like, what did you walk in with and what, what did you go there to do? It all started with actually a blog that went viral. It's a photography blog called The Simple Good. And it was made by uh, me and a few friends who had a really amazing conversation on, you know, what is the simple good in our lives and how come more of us don't talk about it? And also reflecting on the photos that we took from all around the world and noticing that we were taking photos of the same things. It was these small elements of joy and happiness that trigger a photo that we capture no matter where we are in the world, right? Whether it's a sunrise or somebody smiling or an act of kindness, a beautiful scene. These are moments that really touch our souls and naturally enact us to pause and want to reflect. And today we do that through photo, you know, and it is a natural thing for all of us. And that is actually what connects us as human beings, these small positive experiences that touch our soul. And so um, we put them in a little photography blog. It started with 54 photos. And then we asked the world to share their own. And then within a week, the blog went viral. We got submissions from all over the world, people thanking us and all these crazy things, newspapers writing about us. And I knew that I really wanted this conversation face to face. And I really wanted our Chicago youth to be a part of it. And so I approached a few schools on the South side and I said, you know, yo, I have this blog. I want your kids to be a part of it. And I want them to share their simple good with the world. And so um, that first classroom, it was super exciting because, you know, the teachers were like, you know, that's what they need to talk about. We need something to talk about po that's positive instead of all the negative that's happening. And so we use the blog to teach about different concepts of simple good all around the world, how the kids could, understand it, connect to it, and also fuel their own artwork um, and their own understanding of their simple good. 
And it was just a beautiful, um, it was such a beautiful experience because it was a room, a classroom of, you know, third graders that are loud, repeating things in their environment, doing the most. And you could see the, you know, kind of the translation of them really resonating and sitting with this idea of the simple good and how that shifted their, not only their behaviors, but also what they observed around them. And you could see them taking observations from outside of the classroom and bringing that in. You know, one of our students would say, like, uh, my simple good from today was I saw somebody give a homeless man $5 instead of $1 and bringing that in and sharing that with the group. And this is how you build hope, right? This is how you build acknowledgement and testimony that good does exist in the world. And therefore, we need to continue to create it and hold on to that so we can create a better world for each other. Uh, it was just a really beautiful experience to see, you know, how impactful this element and understanding was to just little young people that have been on this earth for a short period of time. Yeah. I'm really curious about what were some of the the stories that you heard during your childhood of like, you can't do this or you're not this. Um, what were those things I feel like it informed your purpose in such a profound way? A lot of different things. You know, I grew up in a community where there weren't that many um South Asians um, in my own culture, uh, South Asian community, you know, women are generally like oppressed, you know, with a lot of different ways. And I'm also born with one hand. So there were so many different levels of oppression I was feeling in a lot of different directions from a lots of different types of people. And it was always this element of people telling me what I was not. And I remember at a short, you know, at a young age, I was always wondering, like, why is the world so hard? You know, why are there so many obstacles? And at a young age, I also realized that, you know, actually, we're not born into the world with obstacles, people create them. And therefore, they can be overcome. Everything that everybody was saying that I was not was actually not true. I knew I could do everything. But people assumed that I couldn't because that their you know, level of imagination of my possibility was limited. And so they project that on me and created limitations through their own shortcomings of possibility, right? They made decisions to say no to me on opportunities that I could have engaged with because of what they perceived was possible. And so for a young person to see that, it's our responsibility to show something better, right? We can do everything and moving and gravitating towards those that really do believe in your possibility. And so I felt that I experienced that at a very young age. And, you know, knowing that that is a constant reality, I realized I'm not the only one that's going through that. There's so many other young kids and people in general that get written off simply because of what we look like, not because of what we can actually do in this world. And I observed that in so many different ways, even still. And it's made me very passionate about elevating humanity and our consciousness to understand how we actually do connect to one another. And once we make that connection, we can really believe and elevate in each, each other's possibility. And yeah, I think that's what's really kind of been rooted in my purpose. It's kind of taking your pain, your obstacles, your barriers in the, in the past and turning them into your mission in a way. I love how Priya's made it her mission to prove those limitations wrong. We often hear messages from others when we're kids about the things we can't do or the things we shouldn't try or the things that we won't be. And a lot of times this stuff is rooted in adults trying to protect us from risks or protect us from failures. But we internalize the message and sometimes we make it our own. Art is a huge area where this happens. 
So many of us give up on being creative as we grow up. We stop painting or singing or playing altogether. These past two years, I've been exploring my own relationship with creativity and what it means to me and how I am creative. I had a lot of ideas that just because I don't do something artistic like painting that I'm not creative, but there's so many ways that I create in my business today. Creativity extends well beyond drawing or painting or singing. And so I'm working on reclaiming my own creativity and what that means to me. And I wonder, what about you? What creative endeavor did you abandon along the way? And can you revisit it? Can you tell me a little bit more about like the social emotional learning? Like what is, what is this approach and like, how is it the right fit for the type of work you're doing? Yeah. So social emotional learning is a brain trust that's actually out of Chicago that now is a standard um, that is followed throughout the country. And what it is teaching is self-awareness and social awareness to support positive decision-making. So really teaching the whole of a child, whole of a human. And this is something that is required in the state of Illinois, as well as several other states, to really ensure that human beings understand why we feel the things that we feel and how that can trigger reactions because of them. And what can those reactions relate to? How can that create a positive or negative outcome? You know, these are understandings that allow you to take advantage of opportunities to progress in life, to really develop strong social cohesion and connection is when you're aware of social emotional learning and how that really is understood within yourself and those around you. There's an element to it that also supports the overall well-being and mental health of young people. And so we are one of the first organizations and only organizations that um, have ingrained social emotional learning within the arts. And so when I first learned about it and uh, me being an artist, a lot of the standards that we're talking about in SEL is really intertwined with the arts process. When you create something, you're actually learning about yourself. You're really creating the self-reflection process that manifests into an outcome or a creation that is now serving the world. And that interaction with the world teaches you about how what you have created actually touches other people. Right. And that builds empathy, that builds understanding, that builds connection. And that's why it's such an important piece to teach so that we can have a more empathetic, connected and unified world. Right now, we're always taught to fear each other. And that's what creates division, separation and, you know, overall societal separation. But in the history of humanity, the only societies that have really thrived are the ones that know how to coexist. And we really have to go back to that and understand that that is a truth, right? That's where innovation comes from. That's where economic upliftment comes from. That's where celebration comes from. And it's in spaces where different types of people have come together and have been able to live next to each other in peace. And where does peace start from? Peace starts from within. Um, and so that's what we teach through the program. It's so interesting to hear that this approach is not employed in the arts more because it's like, you know, emotion and art are, I don't know, to me, they're intrinsically linked. Yes, I know. I think one thing about American society is that we don't look at art as a staple piece of culture, right? That is connected to all of us, that all of us are expected to really feel connected to. We look at it as a separate thing. You know, how many times you hear the statement, oh, I'm not an artist. 
That's not the truth, right? We're all artists because we're all creators. And that is the truth of art. And we appreciate that, whether it's music, which is theater, which is visual arts, you know, all these are powerful elements of humans speaking to humans about their human experience. And that's what allows us to understand how we're affecting each other and how we can also live with each other. And we can all do that, even if it's in the smallest ways, you making a little card, you know, that is a piece of art and it's an artifact that's telling somebody else, you know, where your evolution is. And I think we need to really step into that more um, so that we can really bring opportunities for art to take up more space and not only schools, but in companies in you know, communities and families, because it is such an inherent human thing that touches our soul. Yeah, I saw that you did, uh, or that you do sometimes do workshops in in the corporate space. And I'm really curious, like, what do you recognize about adults and their relationship with creating? What are some of the like insights that that you notice when you do those? Uh, I feel like adults are primed to have a lot of uh, nervousness and shame when making art. And, you know, what we teach is that you don't need to be a Picasso to be an artist. An artist is a person that has the courage to create. So whatever you create and you're sharing a story through it is art, right? And that is impacting somebody. And so I think what's really powerful about the workshops is um, I'm able to open that up within people. And it releases a fear and it unlocks a different level of confidence and identity in a person because they realize like, yeah, I'm just making something. It doesn't matter. But now I'm able to share it with somebody else and I feel connected to another being. And that's the power of this whole process. Um, That's why I really enjoy doing those workshops. And I think that everybody should do them (laughs) to really unlock that piece. And, you know, I think at the end of it, everybody actually feels connected to each other in that space, right? You're learning something new about a coworker or a colleague that you would have otherwise assumed. And it's a safe way to be vulnerable in front of each other. I love that, especially um, thinking about how now in a, you know, largely remote workplace, it is really hard to build trust with people when you don't have those kind of just like organic, natural, like, times that you spend together and you get to know each other, you have the informal conversations, right? And there's a lot of this is like weaponized by people who just want, you know, their employees to return to the office. Like certainly there are many, many ways to build culture outside of just having people be in the office all the time. But it's about being really intentional about when people are together. So like doing something like your workshop allows people to be vulnerable, exactly what you said, in a safe way. We're not trying to get people together and like talk about your childhood trauma with your coworkers so we can build trust quickly, (laughs) right? And I think that can happen sometimes, but it's like, what are the other ways that you can connect people, um, make them feel more connected to each other in, in a way that's responsible to do? Yeah. And you know, it's as simple as finding your meaning of the simple good. Like that's why it's such a powerful concept. You know, these are, you don't only have to connect on the hurt you can really connect on the happy, right? And that's something, if we choose to, can find it every day. And so how can we support each other? Always finding that and building a culture of support through the positive, even if a day might be a little tougher than we'd like. And that's, I think, what really feels resilience, you know? At the end of the day, when we're going through something tough, we have to look at the brighter picture or one glamour of hope that's going to let us get through it. And once we get through it, 
you know, it just makes us stronger. This idea of connecting is super relevant right now. So many companies are really starting to see the negative effects of remote work. Now, I am not saying that we need to return to the office. I think that argument that we can't create culture unless we're in the office together every day is lazy and it just lacks innovation. We have to innovate to do it differently. We can't approach culture the same way that we used to because everything around the structure of work has changed. What that can look like now, at least as a starting point, is reallocating spending on offices to offsites or retreats or quarterly get-togethers, but it can also can be done virtually through experiences that connect people in a way that's more human to human. It's all about creating an intentional space for people to have the opportunity to build trust with each other. And vulnerability is required for trust building. And it's a core component of the work that I do when I'm coaching teams. But forced vulnerability or asking people to share too much personal stuff too quickly is where it can go wrong. So I love the way Priya can bring people together through art and creativity. And I really love what she said. We don't need to connect on the hurt. We can connect on the happy. So I'm, I want to talk a little bit about the other facets of your career. You do a lot of different things. Of course, you are you know the founder and the leader of The Simple Good. You're also a speaker. You're a model, an activist, I would say. you know, Tell me about these other facets of your career and, and what do they mean to you? What role do they play for you? I think they're all very intertwined, you know, and they're all meant to uplift this core mission that I'm trying to bring into the world. Um, you know, I speak a lot about a lot of things that we do with the simple good, but also like the larger picture of how this connects to a lot of different industries, types of people, humanity in general. And, you know, I think through dialogue, you can get a lot of understanding when we have those types of spaces. Um, do model, and that does maybe seem random to some, but that's actually, you know, very intentional as well, um, because I want people like me to be represented in commercial media. You know, I think that when I first got offered to start modeling, I made it very clear that there aren't that many people born with one hand that's a woman of color that are seen in any mainstream media outlet. And I want my image to be normalized so that children that are born like me don't feel unseen and feel like they aren't normal, right? I never saw an example of anybody that looked like me growing up. And so there was a level of shame that was put upon me. But in reality is everybody's born different. There's so many of us that are born different, but we're not represented in mainstream media. So how do we normalize people that are born different when it's actually not different? It's normal, you know? And so I hope that every image that's out there, you know, really creates a little step towards normal human beings are born different in this world and that is totally okay and it's not um, something to fear or be ashamed of um and so again there's a mission within modeling too <laughs> that i hope to achieve yeah i think that's that's amazing and how do you how do you think about like there's there's a strong tie to your purpose your mission how do those different facets let you maybe express yourself in different ways or exercise your own creativity? I mean, right now, I think I say that the simple good is my art. And, you know, this is how I'm creating art in the world. Um, I don't have so much time to draw and paint like I used to, but I hope to get back to that. But I think I'm still in creation mode. You know, I'm still 
bringing a creation into this world. And, you know, that is the art that I say that I'm bringing into the world. And then eventually there'll be another idea <laughs> and creation that I'll continue to bring because I am a creator. And so the Simple Good has existed for 12 years. More recently, you've um, taken on a team. And prior to that, it sounds like you were doing a lot of the work yourself. So what has that transition been like? How did you know it was the right time to bring on a team, first of all? Oh, I've always wanted a team, actually. Um, It was just, you know, it takes time to fundraise. Um, You know, I don't come, I didn't come with like a lump sum of money to start this organization. It was very grassroots and it came from nothing, honestly. And some of it came out of my own pocket. And so it took a long time to be at a space where I had enough funds to slowly bring on individuals to help support the things that I was doing. And so grateful last year, we've gotten into this new chapter where we've been able to bring on a COO, another leader in the organization to really um, enter a new chapter of the organization. So it wasn't a matter of why I wanted a team. I just really know that it was a matter of timing, uh, being able to have the resources to build that. And along the journey, you know, I learned a lot. I learned a lot what it meant to be a leader. I learned a lot what it means to build a business that a lot of people don't really understand or see. And that's something that you definitely carry with you as you enter a new chapter of running an organization. Yeah. I mean, even without a team, like all the place where we started this conversation was you learned business by, you know, being like all the way into the industry and and bringing those skills. And so how do those skills and you utilizing those skills, how do they set apart the simple good? How are they benefiting the organization. I think any founder will tell you they could do a little bit of everything <laughs> because, you know, you have to dabble into everything, you know. So I think that having a line of sight and understanding of every aspect of the business is something that is a unique skill set, uh, can help aid, you know, growing the business in a way because I have insight to everything. You know, I, I'm understanding how, how different elements of the business work. Um, whereas as you grow larger and larger, sometimes everyone doesn't understand, you know, all every department. So I'm very grateful for that journey of being exposed, having to dive into everything so that I can go into um, our growth with intention, because I do have a, you know, I've actually experienced and done every element of the business, whether it's accounting or finance or marketing or programming or, you know, logistics, event planning, I've done it all. So <laughs> I empathize with any of my team members that take it on. I think that's a, you know, while it's not always necessarily possible, I think it's so important for managers, leaders in general to like understand the context of what their employees do because it's like, until you understand it, how can you really help them navigate it? How can you, you know, Mm -hmm. coach them on it and things like that? So I think that's great. And, you know, I definitely have learned from past managers and um, past work experiences um, on the things that I would have wanted, right? And I try to provide that to my team. But I'm grateful to have such an amazing team. Sometimes they're like, it's okay, you don't need to help anymore. <laughs> so that's also something that I'm learning too, is like, you know, uh, when you put it in the right hands, everything will be okay. Yes, I actually really recently talked to another executive director of a nonprofit. And we were we had a very similar conversation. But I'm curious, how do you build the type of culture where people are engaged? How are you building your team knowing that you're putting the right people in the right places? I'm curious about 
your approach to that? Yeah, I mean, we have a very small team and um, entering this new chapter of the organization, we are revisiting culture and what that really is like. How do we move from just a founder-led organization into really growing it into, you know, a self-operating team? And um, a lot of that is understanding how your own behaviors as a leader can impact your team. I work a, a lot. I work hard, you know, and I'm definitely hustling, have hustled for a long time to make this possible. And people see that and they replicate that behavior. And I need to also be aware of how that could impact how my team works, you know? So I think that's one thing that I've learned is, you know, people are seeing what you're doing and you want to make sure that you're supporting them to not replicate the bad behaviors and only seeing the good. So um, I'm making sure to also incorporate rest and um, represent the things that I want for them in myself as well. Um, And so it's been really great to make sure that I even check myself to take a break and um, have that balance so that my team is encouraged to do so as well. Yeah, it's the like, do as I say, not as I do, right? <laughs> it's like, oh, I want you to take time <laughs> off. And I want you to, you know, have boundaries and say no, and, you know, stop working at a reasonable time. And then they see you not doing that, right? And so it's it's hard, even though you have every intention in the world of them not doing that, they're gonna witness that and and emulate that in some way. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it's also important to have your team a part of the culture building. Like, I want to hear from them on what they want to see, how they envision, you know, our culture to be together as they are a part of, you know, the growth of the organization. So I really love having a collaborative environment and getting all their vanishing points incorporated. And that makes me happy, you know, as long as it ties and aligns with our values. Um, I think that's how you really grow an organization that where everybody feels seen and um, feels invested that they're also a part of it. Yeah. Do you have like certain ways that you've kind of facilitated that process of like understanding what everyone is looking from for from the culture or team rituals that kind of help you do that? I'm curious, like what's the day to day like for for your team? We just had like a recent team retreat where we actually reestablished that and brainstormed it and um, making sure we heard everybody were like, what do they hope to see? You know. And one theme that we're definitely um, putting to place this year is celebration. Uh, even the small wins, and uh, we have a lot to do. But within that period of time of having a lot to do, always celebrating the wins in the process. You know, we can always be busy, but there's something to celebrate. So that means not only paying attention to ourselves and our wins, but also the wins of others and calling that out. And what are different ways that we can do that? So, yeah, I love it. I, it's, I mean, I love celebrating. And so... It's been a a good way to start the year and kind of come back to that because when as everybody that has done a startup have worked in this type of environment, you can see that things can pass through very quickly just because there's so much going on. Um, But remembering to pause and reset for those celebrations is so important. I can totally relate to that (laughs) as being someone who's like, okay, (laughs) check that thing off and like on to the next, right? And it really does have a real emotional effect on us when we can take a pause and appreciate and acknowledge the accomplishments. So yeah, Yeah, definitely. Yeah. As a leader, a lot of people have the mentality of do as I say, not as I do. Not intentionally, But that's what ends up happening. I'll tell you to have boundaries. Don't check your email on weekends or nights. And and then they're sending out emails at 10 p.m. Where they say we should celebrate wins and recognize each other more. But then they have a hard time receiving praise or pausing to acknowledge 
the good things that they're actually doing. And this is why real leadership development is truly internal work. How can you get past your own habits and be the way you want your people to be? Because as much as you want to be a supportive leader by setting a standard for well-being in your team, unless you're actually embodying it, your team will have a tendency to model the behavior after what you do, not what you say. So as you continue forward, leading a bigger organization now, you know, hopefully continuing to grow your organization, what do you see as the places that you want to evolve the most? I think leadership is a thing that you're continually growing, you know, and so I'm looking forward to continuing to grow that, seeing how I can better support not only my team, but our volunteers, our supporters, and um, create better space for that now that um, I've also understood what it means to have balance again. You know what I mean? Like as a founder, you're always worrying about other people and always trying to make sure everyone else is okay. And now that I've gotten some balance of checking in with myself as well, I'm going to do a better job of continuing to support in the way that, you know, everybody that supported is needing. So I think like as a leader, I'm just so excited to see like my next pathway of continuing to build my truth bring in and tell the story of this evolution of the organization and also sit in gratitude that we're still here and still growing and everything that I hope to have become with the organization, I don't know, maybe like 10 years ago is I'm really seeing it and such a beautiful thing. And what I hope to also show is examples of how anybody can do this, right? It just really takes patience and dedication. And I know those words are so used often, but hopefully somebody can actually see the journey and see and witness it and see that it is possible. So uh, yeah, I think in summary, I am just continually a <laughs> evolutionary learner and I continue want to grow. Do you think, because um, it strikes me as you being somebody who kind of has always had this core confidence, self-belief, there's something about the the strength of the foundation, even as a kid, right, of like being told things and like, no, that's not true about me, right? And like, what do you attribute that to? I think, you know, like when you tap into a soul's purpose, that soul's just going to drive. No matter what the external fear, the being or emotions, however we're responding in the human form, your soul is just going to drive. And there's definitely been so many different phases in this process where I felt a lot of shame. I felt down on myself, hard on myself. I felt sad, you know, I've broken down. There's been a lot of challenges, but never once was I able to say, I can't do this anymore. Because that's when the soul's purpose is triggered, it's going to make you drive and keep going. And that's when you know something is true to you and there's something larger here that's at stake. You know, the simple good isn't about me or if for me, it's for the world. And so in order for me to bring that into the world, as I feel like I need to do, it's driving me to just keep moving. And, you know, it's not easy at all. I mean, I might come off as confident, but there's been definitely a, a lack of confidence depending on what the experience is. But I think that's what upholds you to keep going, you know, when you feel like there is something um, larger. So I'm very 
humbled and grateful for that. And when I reflect on it, I think it's just such an amazing thing that I hope everybody finds. The last thing I, I want to talk to you about is like, what are some tools or resources or things you do in your life that support you, support your well-being or support you in those moments where you have had challenges or are broken down? What are the tools in your toolkit? Surrounding yourself with people that believe in you is just so key. It's just been literally like uh, life saving. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there are different people that are around you that will not let you fall all the way down. They'll see you fall so you can learn. Well, they're going to catch you to make sure that you keep going. And those are the types of individuals that I think that on this journey have prevented me from going backwards, you know, and um, keeping you in check for what your true pathway should be. And then in addition to that, I think, you know, I'm a very spiritual person. And, you know, I think meditation has really helped me because what you learn from that process is that all the answers are actually within yourself, right? And if you can really ground yourself within that, you know, the world is yours, you know, you can move as you want. And you're not impacted by some of these distractions that will come up within the process to throw you off course, you know, um, but creating some discipline and routine and that is, you know, the challenge, but always checking those two things, like what is your relationship with yourself? And what are the healthy relationships around you that are supporting your true pathway? And I think those have been the two things that have kept me in balance um, throughout this journey. Yeah. What was your way into meditation? I think it's been different throughout life. You know, some of it has been me traveling and being in spaces where I've been able to kind of witness these really strong energies, right, that do shift how you operate and what you're supposed to be focusing on. I think travel in general has really allowed me to really hone in on the universality of how we're connected. And what really matters when you talk to another human being and what you should actually be focusing on. And that is who they are in this moment of time, right? And if that energy is aligned with yours. And I think like just being observant of that has allowed me to better understand what a practice of meditation should look like. Not being so hard on myself on that either. You know, I think sometimes we get overwhelmed with the idea of meditation, but really it's just a moment of breathing, right? And giving your body breath. And from there you build and you can see that, oh, wow, by giving us pause, we actually can hear and learn other things about ourselves. By giving us more pause, we can actually manifest different things as well. So it's really like over been a course of time, I've been able to build a practice that has been more enlightening than when I first started. Um, I think it will continue to do so, right? That is That is kind of the beauty of meditation thinking like recognizing the simple good is a mindfulness practice in and of itself right mm -hmm. just to yeah to pause and to reflect yeah exactly that's what i always say i'm like you just simply thinking of the question what does the simple good mean to you is you practicing mindfulness and now if we did that every single day if everybody did that every single day how differently would we operate in the morning right just to sit in a place of gratitude and realize our worst worries are actually nothing compared to the good that actually sits in front of us. What is your simple good today? I think just being able to reflect with you today. You know, I think it has been a really busy day. And like any of us, we can get lost in the mix. But having opportunities to just pause and reflect and sit in gratitude of this journey 
is a good thing, right? It allows me to be feel grounded and take away the worry that comes with every, our days to days, you know, <laughs> even working at the simple good, uh, just having that space is so important to keep you going. So appreciate this time. Thank yeah, you so much. You're welcome. I hope it also has helped you kind of take a moment to appreciate how far you've come um, and the amazing things that you've accomplished. Thank you. Yeah. No, definitely. <laughs> I will continue to reflect on that even later tonight. So thank you. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being on. I know you have a crazy busy life and you're doing some amazing work in our community and beyond. So appreciate you. Thank you, Sandy. I appreciate you too. Thanks for having yeah. me. We covered so much ground in this episode. We talked about taking the leap out of corporate and into something that's closer to a mission, overcoming our own limitations or the ones that people place on us, and leading by example. We talked about job crafting as one way to make small changes in your current work and make it more closely align with where you want to be. If you're feeling stuck and you want to learn more, check out the resources in the show notes on this. One is a podcast episode hosted by Lori Santos. It's the Happiness Lab with the guest, Amy Rosniewski, who is the one that I mentioned. The other resource that I'm going to link is more of an academic paper. If you kind of like to nerd out on this stuff like me, there's a bit more details, some diagrams, things like that. The short version about job crafting is that we can craft the tasks that we do. And this could look like changing the work that you do, trading work with someone who maybe you find things that your strengths fit that work better and their strengths fit your work better. But we can also change the way we do our work with others, how we're collaborating with people, or we can change the way that we think about our work. Maybe you can take a solo task and make it a collaborative one, or Maybe you can get better connected to the end user that your work really benefits in order to find more fulfillment in your day-to-day. Check out those resources, and I'd love to hear what you think. My contact information is always in the show notes, so tell me what you're struggling with or how the episodes have helped you. And last, I'll leave you with a little nudge to do something that you used to love to do when you were a kid. Maybe it's something creative or silly or just playful, and see how you feel. Thanks so much for listening to Working Your Way. Make sure to follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. You can also check out all of our episodes, show notes, additional resources, and more at selfatwork.com forward slash podcast.